This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, What's good, fam? your host, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm D and ED, and I'm bringing you another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. Today, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. This episode is going to be backbreakers. Yes, right, guys. We're talking about steroids and the management of acute spinal cord injuries. And I know a lot of you guys are out there working in you know big time trauma centers and you guys are at the bedside and you hear these conversations come up and we have to figure out, hey, what is the data? What does the guideline say? And what should we be doing when the order comes across for a big dose of steroids and the management of acute spinal cord injuries? But before we jump into that, of course, guys, I got a few announcements as we're getting closer and closer to a few big events. All right. You guys can be hearing this in April. So most people will be taking their board certification exams. And we've been working our tails off to provide you guys with a resource that's going to be pretty useful when it comes to preparing for the exams. And when you're this close out, you can read as much as you want to. But you need to find your way to test yourself. And that's what we've created for not just the BCEMP, which I'll be taking soon, but also for the BCCP and the BCPS. And what we did was we got a group of people who either already taken the exam and already have those credentials, or we've got people who know a good bit about the creation of these exams. And we've built our questions based off of that guidance and we've structured it and we use all the information and insights from uh, experts in the field and from the people who's been using our product. And I'm happy to say that all those who've been enrolled into our program at PACU Prep has been satisfied with the product so far. And we're looking forward to a very successful time when it comes to testing that's going to be here in April. So if you're looking for BCPS, BCEMP, or uh, BCCP, go ahead and check out our, our product. Again, at PACU Prep, you can just Google that. It's going to be on our show notes as well. Next thing is going to be the X conference. If you haven't heard about it because you've been under a rock some kind of way, you, you, you're definitely missing out if you're not going to be tuned in. This is going to be May 16th in Austin, Texas. And what's going to happen is it's a few questions that keep coming up. You gotta, if you're coming in person with us, you will get access not just to the Empower RX conference, but also the three day SAEM conference as well. So, one price, two conferences full of EM. You're gonna have a dedicated time for emergency medicine pharmacy, but you're also gonna be able to, you know, build relationships with your co residents, uh, with your colleagues, and with your physician colleagues. And all those are gonna be at SAEM. And of course, it's emergency medicine, so we're going to have a good time. So don't worry about that. We're going to feed you guys. Everything's going to be great and phenomenal. So look out for that. Again, EmpowerRx/conference.com. That's where you can get more information about that. Uh, if there's anything that comes up, you guys know where to find me on Twitter at FarmD underscore in the ED. And I can answer all those questions. And of course, we have our own uh, Twitter web page, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff for EmpowerRx. So Big shout out to my team. Um, I could not have uh, made this without you guys. So all of my my planning committee, uh, Chantrell Johnson, John Patka, uh, Megan Wretch, Cal DeWitt, Lance Ray. Uh, you guys have been phenomenal in this process. So if you're listening, thank you a ton. Uh, it's something that we've been busting our tails on and really looking forward to uh, getting to meet everyone in person this year. If you can't come, if you have a lot of stuff going on, 
we still do have a virtual option that's going to get you guys engaged as well. So, again, you can find both of those for the in-person and virtual at EmpowerRx slash conference dot com. So go ahead and check that out. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and jump right into this topic today. Today, again, we're talking about steroids in the in the management of spinal cord injuries. I'm lucky that, again, when I worked at Grady quite a bit and most of the places I've worked at are big time trauma centers and I'm right there at the bedside as soon as these patients come in. So one of the things that's been coming up a lot more recently, and I'm actually intrigued by it, is do we do steroids in these patients? And it's a conversation to be had. And I'm not going to lie, preparing for this, I made a presentation on this and preparing for all of this. I had one thought going into this and I'm not sold, you know, uh, one way or the other, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning one way, but you guys will find out a little bit more as we go on. But let's go ahead and do a little background, guys. So, again, what happens is, again, these patients come in, have a traumatic injury that leads to ischemia, inflammation and apoptosis and a spinal cord tissue. And then you have that secondary injury that can occur as a result of oxidative stress, free radical formation and exotoxicity. So the thought process of how steroids work in acute spinal cord injury. We talked about some of that path, though, about that inflammation that occurs there. But it's a few different things. So steroids are believed to act by inhibiting inflammation, reducing edema and stabilizing cell membranes. And that's one thing that we can we can really see, you know, logically the rationale behind that. But also steroids can also reduce oxidative stress and apoptosis and increase blood flow and tissue oxygenation. So if you think about that, overall, we have a really bad injury to an area where we think that that tissue it won't be regenerated. You want to do everything you possibly can. And from a pharmacologic standpoint, this makes sense to a, to a degree. However, that's where things really stop being so straightforward. It becomes very intriguing because then you have to ask yourself, Okay, what does the data say behind this? And a lot of the data is old. Like most people were not practicing. Um, that's listening to this. most our demographic were not practicing. We're not in high school when this data came out. So I, I'm very intrigued by a lot of all of this. And realistically, the the evidence you know really for or against this really comes from one group of studies called the NASIS trials. These were three big trials that started in the 80s through the mid 90s that really define whether you're for or against the use of steroids in the acute management of spinal cord injuries. And they're all over the place, guys. They're all over the place because you read them. You initially the first time you read them, I'm pretty sure you would think one thing. But after that, that's where things really get intriguing when you read it again. Uh, look at some meta-analyses, start to break down some of the supplemental information, and then things really start to get weird, to be honest. And we start to ask ourselves, are there any statistical gymnastics that's been played here? Is there anything that's been done to really make the data better than what it what it really does? And some of the conclusions says one thing, but their primary analysis, the primary outcome doesn't always really lead to that. And I'm, I'm intrigued. So I don't want to go too deep into this because it's going to be a short episode. Um, but what I want to do is really give like a quick background on what the guidelines say and then touch on very briefly what each of these NASA trials really brought to us. So the American Association for Neurological Surgeons and the Congress of Neurological Surgeons guidelines, uh, they recommend against the use of steroids in the acute management of spinal cord injuries. And their, their language is they, they do not 
do not recommend a routine use of methylprednisolone sodium succinate in the management of acute cervical spinal cord injuries. The East Association for Surgery of Trauma recommends the routine use of methylprednisolone within eight hours of injuries for patients with acute spinal cord injury with evidence of cord compression or other acute traumatic injuries requiring intervention as long as there's no contraindications to its use. And then you have this joint section of disorders of spine and peripheral nerves of the American Association of Neurological Surgeons and Congress of Neurological Surgeons recommend the use of methylprednisolone within eight hours of injury for patients that have spinal cord injury. So it's, it's really intriguing um, when you start looking at a lot of this, because, again, it, it, it seems to contradict itself quite a bit. All right, guys, let's talk about what the guidelines say. So the SCI CDG, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into all of these uh, abbreviations here, but it said to consider a 24-hour infusion of high-dose methylprednisolone sodium succinate for adults who present within eight hours. Again, it's a, a, a great week and the level of evidence moderate. Uh, they do not recommend offering a 48-hour infusion of high-dose methylprednisolone. Uh, and again, the rate is weak and no direct evidence. The SCCM guidelines from corticosteroid use uh, in acute spinal cord injury, they show that no clinical evidence to definitely recommend the use of any neuroprotective medications, including steroids, to improve functional recovery. Uh, they, they give it an expert opinion and a strong agreement. And they said to stop the use of methoprednisolone as soon as possible in neurologically normal patients and in patients whose previous neurological symptoms have resolved to reduce side effects. And this is a uh, expert consensus, and it's a strong agreement there as well. Then the AANS, uh, CNS guidelines on corticosteroid use, uh, they say do not give methoprednisolone for acute spinal cord injuries. Hydrosteroids are associated with adverse effects and death. And this was a guideline that was updated in 2013. Then the NICE guidelines, they say do not use methoprednisolone, modipine, or naloxone in the acute stage of traumatic spinal cord injury to provide neuroprotection and prevent secondary deterioration. Again, this was published in 2016. So again, really all over the place about what they want to do. Yeah, there's multiple guidelines. And I don't want to go deep into all of them. But long story short, one guideline said to give it within eight, give it within eight hours, only for 24 hours. Uh, a few more said do not give it because the, of the risk associated with that. And what are those risks that we're talking about? These going to be infection and sepsis, uh, gastrointestinal bleeding, uh, hyperglycemia, diabetes. Uh, a big thing that came up quite a bit was wound healing complications. Now, they also was able to show in these studies, uh, thrombotic events that was increased neuropsychiatric effects. And again, there was an association with increased mortality in patients with moderate to severe TBI. So that's where things really got intriguing with all of this, because we don't know what to do. Um, really, they, they tell us that we can use it in one guideline. Um, three other guidelines say don't use it at all or don't use any of those other things because of this association that we're talking about. So. All of this is super intriguing. It's something that we definitely need to look at because really we don't necessarily have anything to really build ourselves off of. Um, a few things that may come up, guys, is penetrating injuries. So, again, most of these are blunt that we're talking about. But again, there are a few studies that looked at uh, using methylprednisolone and penetrating injuries, and all of them show an increased rate of complications and no evidence of benefit. So, again, most clinicians don't use this for that indication. So, that's one thing you want to really look out for the fact that most people don't use it for penetrating. But again, just be aware there's no data that says we should use that either. The real controversy comes to those blunt injuries and those blunt TBIs. 
uh, those blunt spinal cord injuries that kind of go along with all of this. These are where we should probably start asking ourselves, okay, where is the benefit? Who are these patients? And that's what I want to look at a little bit more in a little bit greater detail. So let's go ahead and jump forward to the NASA studies. So, guys, we have NASA's one, NASA's two, NASA's three. These are the big boys of spinal cord injuries. There are a few more out there, um, observational studies, some meta-analyses, but realistically, the bulk of all of this is going to come from NASA's. Uh, so, NASA's one was uh, was they looked at was open and closed acute uh, spinal cord injuries within 48 hours of injury, and they looked at this guys in 1979 to 1981. They got 300 patients, and the study groups were using methoprep. A thousand milligram bolus followed by 250 every six hours for 10 days. And then they also looked at a hundred milligram bolus, then 25 milligrams every six hours for, for 10 days. So that was kind of the looking at the, the difference in the, the bigger doses and the smaller dose. So high dose versus, well, I should probably say normal dose. The NASA's two predominantly again, close acute spinal cord injury within 12 hours of injury. Thinking this was done within 1985 to 1988, and they brought in 487 patients. And what they did was they did a weight-based dosing, so 30 mg per kg, then 5.4 mg per kg every per hour as an infusion for 23 hours. Then they compared this to naloxone at 4.5 mg per kg, then 4 mg per kg per hour for 23 hours versus placebo. So that's what's like one of the. And we'll talk about the results, and then NASA's three looked at acute spinal cord injury within eight hours of injury. And this was done between 1991 and 1995. And they got close to 500 patients. Their population was 20 to 40 mg per kg up front as a bolus. And then they did a 5.4 mg per kg per hour infusion for 23 hours. And then they looked at also this longer infusion, uh, 5.4 mg per kg per hour for 48 hours. And then they used this bizarre medication that I've never heard of, Tylerizant, uh, 2.5 mix per kick every six hours for 48 hours. So they looked at all of these things. So that's what's the, the big point of, you know, what the study title was, how many patients they included, what was the population, and then the difference in the dosing that they used. So again, because a lot of this, most of the controversy initially came from, hey, we may not be using the same, the same doses that we've got a lot of information from and from the animal studies. So now we have a quick overview of those. Let's dive a little deeper into each one of these studies. All right. NASA's one, the National Acute Spinal Cord Injury Study, was a randomized controlled trial conducted in the 1980s. The study aim was to investigate the efficacy and safety of high dose methylprednisolone in the treatment of acute spinal cord injuries. Of course, guys, they looked at 306 patients from nine hospitals. They were included from 1979 to 1981. Of course, we mentioned before, but I mentioned again, one treatment group got a bolus of 1,000 milligrams followed by 250 milligrams every six hours for 10 days. And then the others received a bolus of 100 milligrams followed by 25 milligrams every six hours for 10 days. And the outcomes was to matter motor function, pinprick sensation, and light touch sensation. So what they find? They found that both groups showed an improvement in function over time with no statistically significant difference between the groups at six weeks, six months, or one year. Also, there was no statistically significant difference in the degree of neurological improvement between the two steroid treatment groups. The time from injury to treatment with methylprep did not affect the results, and there was a significantly increased risk of infection of both trauma site and surgical wounds. 
And one of the things that the authors really kind of harped on was they found that the lack of statistical significant difference between the groups may have been due to suboptimal dosing in the high high dose group. So that was one thing they really led out of this. And the study didn't really find any major difference between those. So I think that was the big thing that they wanted to, to harp on. So, again, NASA's one didn't really provide any conclusive evidence for efficacy of high dose steroids in acute spinal cord injuries. However, again, again, this study really provided insight into dosing considerations for methylpred and how the need for further research in the area. Again, subsequent trials such as NASA's two and three provided further evidence for potential benefits of methylpred. But again, NASA's one was due to trash really didn't do much for those guys. Again, uh, it really just led to us thinking about other things that we could be doing. So again, it didn't really do too much for us. But again, NASA's two was where a lot of the interest really came. All right, let's jump to NASA's two. NASA's true tested efficacy of methylpred in acute spinal cord injuries. And these patients were randomized a little differently. They was getting methylpred, naloxone or placebo. And they looked at motor and sensory function were evaluated at six weeks, six months and one year. So they did. They looked at 487 patients from 10 medical centers across eight states were enrolled from 1985 to 1988. And of course, guys, I'm just repeat the, the different dosing patterns. Again, mental prep was at 30 mix per kick, then 4.5 mix per kick per hour infusion for 23 hours. The Loxone was also uh, a study uh, intervention at 5.4 mix per kick then four mix per kit per hour for 23 hours. And then they looked at for placebo. Uh, this motor function was evaluated on a 70-point scale, and the sensory function was evaluated on an 87-point scale. So I'm thinking about that and seeing what's going to be the differences between if they find anything. But again, a 70-point scale and an 87-point scale, and really figuring out, you know, at this point now, was there any difference in us a clinically relevant, you know, finding versus a statistically relevant finding? So, um, again, they looked at this at six weeks, six months and one year. So what did they find? So NASA's two results at six weeks, methylpred had a trend towards better sensory compared to placebo, but no statistically significant difference. At six months, however, methylpred did have a statistically significant improvement in pinprick and light touch compared to placebo, but no improvement in motor function. But in the subgroup treated within eight hours, methylpred group had a 5.2 point greater motor recovery than placebo. Uh, again, that was statistically significant. At one year, there was no statistically significant difference in motor or sensory function among the group. But again, patients treated within eight hours of injury with methylpred showed a statistically significant improvement in motor function at six months and one year. That was intriguing. Uh, so again, this, these patients treated within eight hours, again, showed a, a, a benefit that we didn't see before. So these patients were again showed that if you were treated more than eight hours after injury, you didn't show any improvement compared to placebo. And patients treated with methylpred had, again, more wound infections, but this time it wasn't statistically significant. So looking at all of this is intriguing because, again, now we have that NASA's 2 showed that there could be a benefit, uh, particularly in those patients started within eight hours of injury. This higher dosage used, again, really kind of proved the authors right from NASA's 1 and NASA's 2 because it showed that uh, some of these effects may not be mediated through the glucocorticoid receptor. It may be other things that it's doing. Uh, and then we also found that, again, eight hours is this magic time frame. And 
it may be considered too late to see any impact from inhibition of lipid peroxidation. Um, and then the other part is that we, we found that from this study and some animal studies at this time, that steroids may interfere with neuron regeneration, which could negatively impact patients uh, starting treatment more than eight hours after injury. So it's a lot of information that really came from NASA's too. And this is where things really start to go crazy because if you see this study and you, you don't look at it and you say, well, the real issue is just the timing. The dose is right. We found the, we found the dose. Now we found a potential time frame. Again, it wasn't the primary outcome. So really, if you look at it, it wasn't like a phenomenal study because everything was found in subgroups and all this other stuff. Uh, but it really led people to think, hey, maybe it's just a time frame. We have to do all this in. So that leads us to NASA's three. So NASA's three was a randomized controlled trial conducted in the 1990s, and the aim was to compare the effectiveness of a 24-hour versus 48-hour infusion of methylprednisolone and tyrolizad in the treatment of acute spinal cord injuries. Again, they brought in a total of 499 patients enrolled from 16 hospitals from 1991 to 1995, and the outcome measures were neurological examination and functional independence measurements. So from a study design standpoint, patients randomized to three groups, 20 to 40 mg per kg of methylpred, then a 24-hour infusion of a 4.5 mg per kg per hour or a 48-hour infusion of that same 4, I mean 5.4 mg per kg per hour or this, this medication, Tyrolizad, uh, 2.5 mg per kg every six hours. A patient was stratified uh, based on the time from injury to treatment, so within three hours or between three and eight hours because they want to see is Thomas Brain and all these. This is where in the 1990s, that's where Thomas Brain really came about. So that was something that was intriguing. And outcomes measure included, again, this neurological examination is functional independence measure. And again, the patients were assessed at six weeks, six months and one year post treatment. So what did they find? So the 48 hour infusion group had a non-significant non-significant 2.4 point increase in motor function at one year. Again, that p-value is 0.23. Uh, patients started within three, between three and eight hours after injury had more improvement in that 40-hour group at six weeks, six months, and one year. Uh, but there was no difference reported in sensation, and there was no significant differences in this functional independence measure improvement among the groups. So uh, those patients tra- treated with this teriolizad had a similar recovery to those in the 23-hour group. So it really kind of shook some things up, to be honest. It, it became a lot more interesting um, when looking at this. So overall, from NASA's three patients started treatment within three hours of injury, uh, should be treated with the 24-hour infusion. Uh, patients started within three to eight hours, they thought should be treated with the 48-hour infusion. And the use of uterolizizad, they probably, I'm probably saying that completely wrong, guys. Uh, but Tyrelizad or Tyrelizad or whatever did not improve uh, anything significant over methoprat. So that's why we don't use that. And that's why that drug is hard to say because no one's ever seen it again after this. Um, so the NASA investigators concluded that methoprat infusion can be effective at an effective treatment option for acute spinal cord injury. I didn't get that from this study. Um, I'm going to be flat out with you guys. I, I, I didn't get that when I read this. Um, it, and that's the intriguing part about a lot of these NASA's trials. And there's a lot of criticism that went along with this because most of what we found was in subgroup analysis. 
Uh, NASA's two only show a benefit in subgroup initiating treatment within eight hours, raising concerns about subgroup analysis without really a benefit in a larger group. Again, what they actually get their statistics to find a difference in. Um, this eight hour cutoff was actually chosen post data collection and lacks any real physiological support for its use. They just found that that was what they did. And they, again, did some statistical gymnastics to find that. Um, further analysis of patients in the early treatment group by severity of subgroups results in a very small sample size and multiple comparison, again, which really lacks consistent, consistent benefits. So it's a lot of stuff going on within these subgroup analysis. Another criticism was a lot of unreported data. Uh, demographics and severity comparison between the treatment groups and the early treatment subgroups are unavailable. Uh, so it really makes it impossible to assess the assess the success of randomization and potential confounding. Because that's something that really is going to be, I think, played a big part in a lot of this. And it's unclear if the treatment groups receive the same medical treatment, surgical options, again, another potential confounding result, and the decision to report only right-sided motor data while reporting bilateral sensory scores has been really questioned. Again, why report one side uh, for one outcome and then bilateral for another outcome. Um, and again, but the NASA group, again, did say that these were the same, um, but I don't really understand. Another really intriguing part and in a criticism that people have said was the functional significance of a small improvement on a 70 point scale. Again, we're talking two points, five points, uh, nothing really dramatic, again, just based on a, a scale to 70 points. Uh, and it really leads to this 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 thought of uh, statistical statistical benefit versus a clinical benefit. Again, I'm not a surgeon. I'm not these patients. But again, looking at it from an academic standpoint, this is something that many people have raised criticisms about. And then it's just intriguing. Again, another component was, can this data be reproduced? Uh, the positive results from NASA's 2 has not really been successfully reproduced in randomized controlled trials. Uh, two other prospective trials using the NASA's 2 dosing of multiprep did not show a benefit. A study from Japanese literature showed no significant significant difference in motor function uh, between the treatment control groups. And then the, the Cochrane analysis, meta-analysis, suggests an advantage of 4.06 uh, greater motor recovery in a methoprep group uh, compared to placebo amongst the subgroup treated within eight hours. But the difference in motor recovery between methoprep and the control group amongst all patients was not statistically significant. So it's, it's definitely intriguing from a benefit standpoint, because the data is just kind of all over the place. But then the, the part comes to, well, there's no there's no harm. And that's tough to say. That's tough to say, because NASA's one. Again, there was a statistical significant increase in wound infections in that that thousand milligram daily group. Um, the two week mortality was three times higher in that thousand milligrams study group. And the 28 mortality was one point two, one point nine two higher in that group as well. Again, so much higher mortality in those patients. Uh, the NASA's two, the rates of uh, wound infection and GI bleeding were higher in the methoprep, but it was not necessarily statistically significant. Um, and then and NASA's three at six weeks, there was a, a statistical significant increase in severe pneumonia in that 48 hour group compared with the 24 hour group. And there was there was also a non-significant trend towards increased incidence of severe sepsis in that 48 hour group. Um, Intriguing. Again, like any controlled trial, NASA trial, we're, we're, we're powered to demonstrate the primary outcome and not to establish a safety. So we want to weigh all of that together. But again, that same primary outcome they were looking at, they didn't necessarily reach. So I'm intrigued. O overall, 
Again, NASA trials have faced a ton of criticism about the use of subgroup analysis, potential confounders, the clinical significance of the results, the fact that it can't necessarily be reproduced and the risk of complications. Uh, but again, the Cochrane meta-analysis that was done by the same author who did the primary author for all three NASA trials, again, recommend the use of methoprep for acute spinal cord injuries. But again, the critics argue that more research is needed to fully understand the risk versus the benefits of all of this. So I think a lot of this is, is, is intriguing. And then they've also done, this is back in the 90s, so they've done some surveys. They've done a few things to figure out, okay, what are the practice patterns and steroid use in acute spinal or core injuries in the 60s, but negative results from NASA's one cause providers to really stop using it. Uh, study patterns in North America and UK suggest really an uneven adoption of the NASA's recommendations. So no one's really falling at one way versus the other. And evidence suggests that the use of methoprep for spinal cord injury may be decreasing. But again, the controversy over the clinical benefit is going to be there. And then the one thing that keeps coming up, and as I get deeper in my career and I get older, I realize that there are some medical legal concerns that are often cited as justification for use. Because again, one guideline did say they recommend giving it. So it's, it's something that's, that's, that's truly in, in, intriguing. And uh, one of the surveys that was done on North American surgeons and people treating patients with acute spinal cord injuries in um, 1999, again, 98% of people were, were using it in the, in the U.S. Uh, however, only 48% actually believed in any benefit. So that was intriguing. Almost everyone's used it. Only half of them believe that can be a benefit. When they looked at, looked at the same survey among surgeons in Canada, Again, 77% were using and only 30% believed there was any benefit. Uh, then contrast that from 2001 to 2006, those same Canadian doctors, now only 24% were using steroids and they couldn't even get you a number for those that believed in the benefit. And then from 1999, looking at those U.S. doctors compared to 2006, again, that group, again, with more people, more respondents, again, 85%, so a reduction from 98 to 85%. We're actually using steroids, but only 38.4% of those providers believe of any benefit in that. So looking at the, looking at the data, the guidelines, the trends, all of this is like really, really intriguing. And it, it really believe, makes us think that, hey, maybe there should be something to another study should be done. There should be more data out there. Guys, a lot of this stuff came out in the 90s. So I'm challenging all of my like super smart people that is involved in research and that can look at this. If your shop's using it, research it, see what's happening with your patients. See, are they getting better and figure out again, are these things clinically significant? So I'm, I'm going to close it out with that. So some, some, some takeaways from a pharmacist perspective, uh, the, the use of corticosteroids for acute spinal cord injury is controversial and the guidelines, rec- most guidelines recommend their, against their routine use, especially beyond eight hours of injury. So if you're if you're going to be involved in these patients, make sure you're looking for monitoring. Uh, make sure your team is aware of the the wound infections, the sepsis, the pneumonia, and making sure you can kind of manage some of these things long term uh, when you're managing patients in a unit. And again, as a pharmacist, you, you can also educate the healthcare providers about the data, about the guidelines, about the potential risks and benefits of steroid use. And if you're going to use it, who's that population? That population seems to be within that three, that three to eight hour or within eight hour range. And it seems to be for those patients that are having a blunt injury leading to acute spinal cord injuries. It doesn't look like those patients are penetrating traumas. Uh, so, again, again, it's very important to make sure if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Let's monitor right. And let's focus on those things. So that's all I got, guys. A very quick episode today. I don't want to go 
too much into all of this. Um, and I want to close you guys out again with a few of those reminders. Empire RX Conference, May 16th. It's going to be phenomenal. Definitely check that out. If you're studying for BCPS, BCCP, BCEMP, we got some for you. And I'm continuously working on this on, on this product. The team is working on this product. We, we're getting more and more editors. We're getting more people involved to write. So this is starting to become really, really cool. And we're using technology to help us learn more about our questions. And I, I don't necessarily know if that's been done by, by other companies. So I feel very strongly with our product. Uh, it's something I'm using it myself. I, I designed it because of the, the lack of what I thought were quality, uh, informative information out there for pharmacists that's taking these exams. So that's what I'm using. Um, I hope I pass. So <laughs> taking, taking it this week, actually. So it's going to be intriguing, guys. So check those things out. All the information in the show notes. If you want to just Google PACU Prep BCPS, PACU Prep BCCP, PACU Prep BCMP, it should come up. Um, and I hope to see you guys either virtually or realistically in person May 16th in Austin, Texas. And guys, you know how we close out every episode. You don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't work in the ED. But everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Closes it. Ozzy scratches his head. Whatever she's looking for, it isn't in there. Perfect, perfect, perfect.